Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me today in the studio is Dr. Al Reichman. Uh, Dr. Reichman, how are you doing today? I'm vertical. Good. Okay. <laughs> That's not all I can promise. <laughs> it's a it's a good it's a good day, better than we deserve. So, um, for the folks at home, since we're not doing a video, we're only gonna do the audio here because my video equipment isn't working too well. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you came from. You're with Ahavat. Uh, Messiah Ministries down in the Fort Worth area mm-hmm. of Texas, and um, I just gotta, I gotta, I just gotta get this out of the way. I gotta throw you under the bus and attack you for living in Texas and unapologetically being a Detroit Lions fan. How do you, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> I, I was born and raised in Detroit. Okay, fair enough. And you just can't get rid of your old teams. Mm-hmm. Fact is, Michelle and I. Early on in our marriage, we used to uh, go to the Thanksgiving Day game. Oh yeah, at, in Dallas. Yeah, never rooted for the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, and rooted it's for, always the Lions versus the Cowboys, right? No, no, not the Lions have their own game. They started it, okay, and then the Cowboys came along and did a second game on a Thanksgiving. Second game. Now okay. they have a third one, a night oh. game. So it not as unique as it was when it was just the lions against whomever whoever yeah but they've been doing that forever but so we'd go to the dallas game we'd root for anybody that came to play sure (laughs) against them the cowboys one year we were in the um the family seats because michelle worked with a gal whose son was a trainer for the cowboys we're in the family seats and uh, it was the strike year. They had ended the strike. And the guy in the next section held up a big old poster board wanting the uh, strike quarterback <laughs> to and get, you know. And Timmy Newsom's wife, she's a little thing. She got up. She about ripped this guy to shreds. She said, <laughs> like, a row in front of us. I said, Michelle, root for the Cowboys. Yeah. It's not worth dying for today. You know. <laughs> So that was the only time. Okay. <laughs> when you were forced in yeah. under duress. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So um, t- uh, tell everyone, how did you come to Ahavat Ministries? Uh, when did you get saved? Tell us just a little bit about your life so people okay. have a little context before I start asking you a couple questions All and right. some stuff. Well, I am Jewish by birth, mm-hmm. and I come from an Orthodox family, long line of rabbis. Mm-hmm. Um, just my immediate family is one thing, but then you go digging through the family tree, and um, we're just, you can't shake the family tree without rabbis falling out, mm-hmm. and, and just all the way back as far as you want to go. And that's even before your family came to America? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and if you went back to Austria and did some research where my father's parents came from, mm-hmm. and he came here as a Hasidic rabbi. You would no doubt find the son always taking the father's place in the community as mm-hmm. the rabbi. Because I see that my uncle Saul is a Hasidic rabbi, and his two sons, my cousins, now are Hasidic rabbis. And so they just followed suit. Mm-hmm. And that's very common in that regard. So coming from that background, 
um, my father, at one point he divorced my mother, which is all but unheard of in Orthodox Judaism. But God had to remove the hindrance. He was the one that stood in the way. Mm-hmm. And eventually, because of this... Now, at, w- with the divorce, did you end up living with your mother? Or? Yeah. Mother. Okay, got it. And um, so she moves us back into the city of Detroit from the suburbs. Went to work, take care of her five kids. Wow. I make friends with a boy down the street. And then after about a year or so... He wants to win a trophy for vacation Bible school. Okay. It never told me where he disappeared to every Sunday, but now he wants that trophy. <laughs> and uh, so I had no idea what vacation Bible school was. I had no idea what church was, but mm-hmm. he was my buddy. Mm-hmm. So that opened the door. And um, I was probably eight years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. My two oldest sisters wound up going to youth camp that summer. They came home saved, much to mom's chagrin. And then mom let us do whatever we wanted to. But from there, I always say, because this kid wanted to win that trophy. Yeah. I got saved. My four sisters got saved. My mother finally got saved. My mother's parents, who disowned us, mm-hmm. we didn't hear from them for like 10 years. And that was because of her coming to Christ? No, that's because... Of the divorce? Nope. Because... Um, she was letting their grandkids go to that church. Wow. So we had turned from the faith in their eyes. Yeah. This was even before mom became a believer. Mm-hmm. So um, they broke down, came back, started visiting. In their middle 80s, they finally got saved. They're immigrants wow. from Russia around 1917. Right around the time of the revolution. Bolshevik revolution. Wow. So then, and that's a story in itself. Mm-hmm. So then, because this kid wants to win a trophy, not only do all these get saved, my second oldest sister, she and her husband um, were in youth work for decades. Their youngest is in ministry. Mm-hmm. My third sister, uh, she and her husband, he pastored independent baptist churches in the st louis area out in the rural areas and their oldest is in ministry and um all of this because kid wanted to win a one trophy. kid wanted to yep he just with vacation bible school invited all of his friends so that he could never know what happens when you motivate people yeah i get people all the time well i just don't think you should have to bribe people to sure. get, to invite people to come to church with them. I said, you're absolutely right. I thoroughly yeah. agree with you. But. How many did you invite to come this week? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, 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 and then they're swallowing their tongue. Yeah. I would literally pay people to come visit my church. Yeah. I would have, I have no problem with that right. whatsoever. If I you could know. afford to do it, I would pay everybody to come visit one time. Got to get them on the, <laughs> when we were having a revival meeting, when I was pastoring, I would, I would get a Thompson Chain Reference Bible mm-hmm. with a Morocco leather cover. Yep. The most it's a, back in the early nineties, the thing cost over seventy dollars. That's yeah. an expensive Bible, mm-hmm. but it's the best study Bible I I know of. And uh, I 
I'd offer that to the one that brought the most visitors. And I said, but you have to bring at least 10. Sure. I'm not giving this away to someone who brings one. person that squeaks in with their brother coming. So they really worked. Oh, yeah. And they filled the place up. Yep. But souls got saved. People joined the church. Yeah. People got their hearts right. People hadn't been in church in years. Started coming again. Started coming again. Because I motivated them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that you got to. Yeah. Yeah. Paul said, talked about it. He said he's got all these crowns. He listed them waiting for him. Mm -hmm. That kind of motivated him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're in Detroit. Uh, You get saved uh, in your youth. Uh, Your sisters do. Your mom does. Yeah. And then, uh, where did you uh, where did you go from there? When, when did you feel like uh, you were supposed to be working for the Lord in ministry? Yeah. You know, in some capacity. Maybe tomorrow. No, I'm just <laughs> still waiting for that youth camp. <laughs> still small voice. <laughs> I finally did get saved as a teenager, mm-hmm. and then a year later at youth camp, and Thursday of this week uh the ninth mm-hmm. marked 54 years since i got saved so at youth camp i always say god laid a claim on my life so i go down to the altar and i told the lord i said i'll do anything you want me to do i will not be a missionary <laughs> god said we'll see got it <laughs> so then he just bugged me about it uh through the year and then it really intensified i mean i kept uh making excuses i said look what about my buddy ronnie Mm -hmm. i'm as good as ronnie if ronnie's saved i gotta be saved Mm -hmm. and a couple weeks later ronnie got saved (laughs) well that's a dirty deal (laughs) And it went a whole year like this. I kept putting them up. God kept knocking them down. Mm-hmm. So finally, I tell, um, after I got saved, uh, and then God's dealing with me like this about ministry. And I said, uh, all right, youth camp's coming up. They never do anything at that youth camp about missions mm-hmm. and that's what's my one holdout sure it's your line in the sand you want me to surrender to missions have them do something at that camp <laughs> the first night god didn't wait until tuesday mm-hmm. he didn't wait until the last night mm-hmm. the first service of that camp monday night there's like a thousand of us in that tabernacle it's like an outdoor kind of yeah. tabernacle thing. They go to the, the the camp director, comes to the pulpit. We have a something very special for y'all tonight. Oh, he didn't say y'all. Mm-hmm. He was, this was Detroit, <laughs> yeah, no. Michigan camp. We have something very special for you tonight. Our camp speaker has been gracious enough to give up the pulpit tonight. We have a very special guest. We have a missionary from Japan, and I'm going, you, sorry. (laughs) And uh, so they let him speak, Mm -hmm. and it was Laverne Rogers from Japan. When I told him the story, he said, and you didn't come to Japan? (laughs) (laughs) And so 
during the invitation, I still fought it. Yeah. And I am Jewish. We are a little, okay. that a little stiff stubborn. neck thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I finally go to the altar and I said, okay, Lord, even missions. And then it's like he left me alone. Mm. Never touched me about it again. So I go to Bible college. And one thing I'm certain of, I'm called to preach. So I'm preparing to pastor. Mm-hmm. Everything about me was undergrad, grad school, post-grad was all geared toward pastoring. And I did for 18 years. And then 27 years ago, kicking and screaming, God dragged me out of the pastorate, Mm -hmm. made a Jewish missionary out of me. I didn't know Jewish missions existed. Okay. I just had no, I mean, I knew of some just vaguely, mm-hmm. but there were two groups, Friends of Israel and Chosen People Ministries, that tried to get their hooks in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was a Jewish believer. I had my a call of God on my life, and I had theological training. Sure. I was a fine. Yep, we're ready. Yeah. We'll take it. And I said... I'll be a missionary to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. I was really arrogant about it. Okay. Um, this is what I call my anti-Semitic Jewish period. <laughs> I got saved out of that. Mm-hmm. Wanted nothing more to do with it. Okay. Like a, the contempt a drunk has for a bottle yeah. when he gets saved. Yeah. That's how I was. Mm-hmm. God drags me out of Detroit, puts me in um, southwest Texas. No, West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. And I'm going, no graves in Detroit. You had to drag me out here Mm -hmm. to kill me. (laughs) But I had the divine appointment to keep. Mm -hmm. There was an old preacher out there in Denver City, Texas, who loved the Jews. I didn't. He did. (laughs) Waddled up to me, big guy, at a mission, at a fellowship meeting in Lubbock, Texas. Goes, Hebrew. I want you to be in my mission conference. Mm-hmm. I want you to represent the Jew. I said, what would I do? Mm-hmm. You'll come up with something. He waddled away. So that's what that was put- the call of God. They, uh- <laughs> that's what it looks like, folks. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Just as simple as that. And so I, I put my Christ in the Passover together. Mm-hmm. I put my testimony message together. I preached him in March of 1984 at his mission conference for the first time and i've been preaching him ever since no kidding um it was just amazing from there while i was pastoring in new mexico and then in texas one sunday a month i'm in somebody's church preaching these messages Mm -hmm. trying to convince him to get involved in a in, in, in a real way in getting the gospel to Jewish people. Then I get to Chicago, and that church was 100 years old that year when I got there. 15 minutes from a Jewish community that was 250,000 strong. Wow. In 100 years, they didn't invest one red cent Mm -hmm. in that Jewish community with where the gospel is concerned. So I called Mo. I need to establish Jewish missions in this church. But if I try it myself, they'll think it's self-serving. 
I think if you came into the mission conference, we could get this done. So he did in the, in the fall. And our faith promise went from 30,000 to 50,000. And then we started Jewish missions at 5,000. Mm. And over the next five or six years, had I stayed three more weeks to take them through the next mission conference. Got to remember, this is 1996. We'd have gone to $125,000, faith promise. It's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And about 30,000 Jewish missions. But God started troubling my nest. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we went to Israel on tour with the ministry we were supporting so heavily. And the vice president of that ministry and his wife were on that tour. They were looking for me. We we became good friends real quick. In the hotel room one night, Michelle says, you won't believe what Kathy asked me today. I said, what? And she said, she asked me, if, do you think your husband would ever give up his pulpit, go on the road full time for our ministry? She mm-hmm. said, not a chance. Okay. Six months later, I'm on the phone. So, Bill, what are the opportunities for a guy like me in a ministry like yours? Wow. And the more we talked, everything lined up. Yeah. So January 1st, 1997, I went on board with Chosen People Ministries. We were with them 16 and a half years. And then July 1... Uh, 2013, so coming up on 10 years, mm-hmm. God throws me out of my comfort zone again mm-hmm. and led me to start Ahava. Ahava is a Hebrew word for love. So Ahava Messiah Ministries, love Messiah Ministries. And then our task, take the love of Messiah to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And it's been an incredible thing. Uh, over these 10 years. Now, the Jewish communities that you are reaching are predominantly in America. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And um, you are focusing on who's closest, which is the what we call the DFW, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Right. Which, uh, how big of a population of uh, Jews live in that area? We'll probably get some pushback on this Mm -hmm. from people that make assumptions. Sure. We don't have a defined Jewish community in the Metroplex because we don't have the Orthodox. Okay. Is that where a Jewish community is going to be centered around and grow from there? You'll start with an Orthodox community and then you'll have um, more uh, liberal uh, Jewish communities Mm kind of. Not so much, because if you're Orthodox, you're Orthodox. If Mm -hmm. you're Reform, you're Reform. Okay. So one doesn't grow out of the other. Got it. Okay. Uh, We have Reform and Conservative Mm -hmm. throughout the Metroplex. Okay. We have a spattering here and there of um, a few Orthodox. We have a few, some Hasidim, but not very many. Can, can we go back one step? Can you define for folks at home the difference between Orthodox and Reform? Yeah. Because a lot of folks probably don't. We need a starting point. Right. There are essentially three main denominations within Judaism. Mm-hmm. The first Today. One, 
today. Yeah. The first one branches into two. Mm-hmm. So you have the Orthodox. The Orthodox believe we're responsible for every bit of the law of Moses. As written that we are familiar with as Christians that we read about yeah. in the Tanakh or right. in the Pentateuch, we should say. Plus, the um, I always get the oral and the written law. Um, the There's about a thousand that the um, rabbis added to it. Mm-hmm really to protect you from mm-hmm. violating the actual commandment. So there's 613 of these things, and they believe we're responsible for every bit of it. The, therefore, they live within walking distance of their synagogue. Mm-hmm. That's why you see an Orthodox synagogue. That neighborhood is an Orthodox neighborhood. Sure. You're going to have Orthodox um, grocery stores. You're going to have restaurants, yeah, everything. The lifestyle gonna, with yeah. the community is is centered around mm-hmm. the synagogue. And then, and then some, you'll even see, you'll look up and you'll see this cable yep. surrounding the community. I'm familiar with it. And the reason <laughs> for that is there is a Sabbath day journey limitation. Mm-hmm. But that's outside your home. Mm-hmm. Inside your home, you can walk as much as you want. Yeah. Inside your home, you can pick something up and carry it. Yep. Outside your home, you really can't carry anything mm-hmm. on the Sabbath, and you can not can only walk like, it's like 2,000 paces. Yeah, can only travel so far, yeah. and the rabbi has determined that and put up a literal boundary. Well, it's not that. That designates your home Mm -hmm. so inside your home you can walk as much as you want Mm -hmm. so inside wherever you look you can see i'm inside this cable yeah i'm i'm home yeah and this is in a city community you will see this yes and when that cable breaks they have to have a rabbi get up and repair it well he has to uh oversee and yeah consecrate it (laughs) yep it actually broke in dallas there was a so now they, and it caused some damage. Mm-hmm. Now they just have a ribbon. Okay. So when it breaks, it's not as, as dangerous. Ca- catastrophic. You know? And and this is, this counted as your home. Your inside home. That. So, so you could then walk it. to, because you're not going to be able to have a house 2,000 paces from, from the, the synagogue. synagogue. Sure. Okay. And then you couldn't carry your talus and your tefillin and mm-hmm. your, <coughs> pardon me, your sidur, your prayer book. This way you can. Got it. Because you're in your home. Got it. So it's a justification. No, I, I understand. Yep. So the other end of the spectrum are the reform. Mm-hmm. The reforms say, yes, we believe the law is important. But we believe we should weigh it according to our cultural norm. Mm-hmm. Now, they won't, they'll walk to their synagogue. I live 20 miles from my synagogue. There's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. So I can drive my car on the Sabbath where they won't. Mm-hmm. So they make these differences. Well, in doing this, the reform did away with a lot of the law of Moses. Too sure. much. Oh, yeah. From the conservative came along. And that's the middle ground. They split somewhat. the difference. Okay. They, they say, yes, we believe the law is vital. Yes, we believe we should weigh it according to our cultural norm. Mm-hmm. They went too far. Yep. The so they bring it back. <laughs> 
closer to Orthodox Judaism. Yeah. Okay. What what is the Orthodox community? How do they view the Reformed Jewish community? There was a day uh-huh. that they considered they weren't Jews. Sure. When it first started, I'm assuming. Well, even long into long after their that. history. Okay. It's only been in more recent years. Yeah. It only started a, in the 1800s, didn't it? Yeah. The reform. Okay. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Up until recent years. Mm-hmm. See, you can't become a citizen of Israel unless you're Jewish. And the only accepted brand or the Orthodox, the Orthodox and the Hasidim. Yep. That's changed. But there was a point where they looked at the, especially the reform and even the conservative, you're not Jews. Wow. Because Judaism in their mind mm-hmm. was based on adherence to the law of Moses. Sure. You don't want that in your life. Yeah. Therefore, you're not Jewish. Mm-hmm. It's a... They froze them out. Wow. Now they accept them. Okay. Uh, But there's been a lot of political pressure to cause that. But the Orthodox, the rabbis have a party in the Knesset Mm -hmm. to try and get things done their way. In a secular culture, because Israel's secular, not religious. Yeah. But they're trying to push the religious... And then the one we didn't talk about, branching off the Orthodox, come the uh, Hasidim, mm-hmm. the ultra-Orthodox. And there's several different sects, S-C-C-T, not the other word, because in this day we've got to be careful. Mm-hmm. You know, We're not non-binary in the... <laughs> sure. In the, uh, so <laughs> please don't misunderstand. Um, and they're all following... A specific rabbi mm-hmm. who started that sect, who uh, and they're following his teachings. Yeah, and honestly, that's not a whole lot different than what we see in Christianity. There are churches that will start because they feel like the group that they came from has lost sight of something that they valued, and a new segment is born. I'm sure you've heard the joke about the desert island and the three huts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I I've preached in. Um, North Carolina mm-hmm. for churches that are known as the original free will Baptist. Okay. And they did exactly this. They severed from the free will Baptist, mm-hmm. believing the free will Baptist veered off into veered the off. woods. Yeah. And so that's why their original free will Baptist, they're holding to the original tenets, tenets of, of the, their, yep. but you know, and so um, there is that difference. And as a original free will Baptist, you will not pastor a free will Baptist Got church yep. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You, in order to pastor in the original free will Baptist, you must be ordained in an original free will Baptist church. Yes. Sure. And then their ordination council remains your basically your authority throughout your whole ministry mm-hmm. it's all different structure but they do that to protect their um their movement from from drifting, drifting off, off and again. ending up with what we see mm-hmm. in american modern day christianity yeah. which is a pretty broad spectrum yeah. half of which you know conservative christians look at and say 
I don't see the Christianity there. You know, it's it's just a social club, and right. you happen to have a Bible somewhere. Yeah, yeah, not that I've it's ever not seen all it. that important. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, window candy, window dressing. Okay, so since we got into a little bit of the history of Judaism, so I had a question. When I read through the Old Testament, <clears throat> I read through what I would call, and maybe inaccurately, Mosaic Judaism. And then it seems like by the time we get to the New Testament, the time of Christ, it seems like the Jews had drifted away from that to some degree, and Christ was pointing out the differences and kind of where it where it went awry. Am I? Is that... Yeah, you can. You're on the right track because what um, what people need to understand in that realm, they think the, of the high priest as being the most spiritual man in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. And in the era you're speaking of, we see the drift that you're talking about. No more clearly than where the high priest is concerned, it became so political, mm -hmm. he actually bought the office. Wow. So Caiaphas was the least spiritual, probably, <laughs> yeah. in all of Israel, but had all the power yep. because his family had the wealth to be able to purchase the office. Mm. Had nothing to do with serving God. Mm -hmm. This is why then that they and the Pharisees and Sadducees this is what would cause, what would give them liberty to give uh, Saul of Tarsus the edicts, the signed orders from the Sanhedrin, signed by the high priest himself, to go and persecute, um, Hunt imprison, down. Yep. beat, beat put to death mm -hmm. any Jewish people found following after this one Jesus. Because, that, and we have this problem still today. Mm -hmm. They were so threatened by Jesus. If he is right, we're out of business. Yeah, everything we built our life around is no longer of yeah. consequence. All the glorification that I get, all mm -hmm. of the everything, all of the clout that I have in the community goes away if he's right. So they fought against him vehemently. Um, and we, we see that today. The rabbis, every time a guy like me crosses that line yeah. and becomes a believer. It's a threat. To their way of life. The Jewish community diminishes. Yep. And their power base diminishes with it. Mm -hmm. Look, in Judaism, especially in the Orthodox, and even Hasidim, I can't speak for conservative and reform. It's okay. We don't, we don't need yeah. to talk. Yeah, we're so not really the, considering uh, them Jews. Anyhow. But this we, is the world I grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> You don't make life decisions without speaking to your rabbi. That's mm. why that's why that term has become slang. You see it on 
on uh, TV shows all the time, cop shows. Well, that's mm-hmm. his rabbi. Yeah. He's not Jewish. Yeah. It's the guy that's giving him a leadership mm-hmm. and direction that he's response to. You just don't pack your family up mm-hmm. and move 75 miles away. Yeah. And then get there and find out there's no place for me to worship. Or mm-hmm. to, That's or, really the center and the foundation of your life. Yeah. Your family, your job, everything. So they are going, the rabbi is going to be involved in the critical decisions of your life for every good reason. Mm-hmm. I pastored for 18 years. I've been in ministry my entire adult life. I'm 68 years old. I'm telling you, it's not like that in the church. Yeah. People are sitting there. They may or may not respect that pastor. <laughs> they are half listening to what he has to say. Uh-huh. When he says something that they don't like, well, yep. that's what he says. Sure. And who is he to <laughs> tell me? Even though he's reading out of the Bible. <laughs> and who is he to tell me what to do? Yep. And I always want to come back to Paul telling them what ye ought to do. Mm-hmm. And he's expressing to one of the, in one of his epistles that he has no problem expressing this again, mm-hmm. that this is what you ought to do. And that's our job as the pastor. Yeah. But people aren't. I had a guy in my church in Chicago. He and his wife both grew up in that church. He was one of my deacons. They were very faithful. They had three kids reaching, the two oldest reaching their teen years. God had blessed them. Mm-hmm. And he was moving up the ladder in the company he worked for. So the old neighborhood wasn't good enough for him anymore. Sure. So he found a brand new house 50 miles away out in the western suburbs. Mm-hmm. They get moved out there, and after a couple of months, he comes and he said, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. Church is awfully far away. <laughs> he said, there are no churches out there by us. Mm. And we keep coming back here. But this is like an hour and a half drive. Oh, yeah. In good traffic. Yep. And he said, and I often can't be here in the evenings because of my work. Mm-hmm. And my wife has night blindness. So she can't drive the kids. So... Wednesday nights, Sunday nights are out. Mm-hmm. My kids are at an age where they need the youth program, and we can't get them here. So, what am I to do? I sure. said, why didn't we have this discussion three Before months ago? Before you moved, yep. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me like I was out of place. Sure. I said, even if we had this discussion then, and you were intent on making this kind of a move, and I understand it. Sure. Maybe I might have known of a of a really great church that I could have directed you to. That instead of moving to this neighborhood, you could have moved over here a little ways, over there, yep. ten miles, fifteen, twenty miles away. Yeah, over there, and still been in a good place with your family, and and not have a problem. Yeah, but now it's just. It's as hard for you to get to that church as it is for you to get to this one. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Well, then he moved even further away. As far as I know, they just 
the whole family got out of church. Yeah. When his kids needed it the most. Oh, yeah. So it's a different relationship. We don't look to the pastor. It's like he doesn't have any business meddling in my personal life. Yeah. That's what, you know, what part of your life is not spiritual? Sure. I mean, if raising your family is not a spiritual godly concern, what is it? Mm -hmm. If, If your profession is not a spiritual and godly concern, what is it? Then the Bible's not right. When it says, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do all to the glory of yourself. Yeah. Don't do all to the glory of God. Yeah. Trust in him in all thy ways, and he shall direct thy paths. Not the ways that, you know, seem convenient. You oh, know, how about my ways are not your ways, neither are your thoughts, my thoughts. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's not going to make sense. Just so you know, when, when God tells you his will, it's going to be different than the yep. way you want to do it. Yep. So get ready. And personally... I'd love that neighborhood. I, I, I'd move back to that neighborhood tomorrow if God if would could, let me. Yeah. I never enjoyed living anywhere it, more in all my life yeah. than in that neighborhood. Yeah. But I'm a city boy. Sure. But he was too. He was raised in that neighborhood. You know, we went over this in my church uh, a couple weeks ago, and I brought the point up to people. I said, look, every Christian in every church, for the most part, thinks that they're a pretty good Christian. I said, and really what it comes down to is maybe you obey God 80% of the time. But realistically, you determine your Christianity on the 20% that you disagree with God. Yeah, that's an idea. And and what do you do then? You know, you can't just obey God when you're in agreement with what God right. says and then disobey him every time you find fault in what he says. Because if that's the case, then you are 100% disobedient. <laughs> Because <laughs> really, you're just going off of what you feel like anyhow. Well, it's where when you bring it into the realm of the Mosaic Law, mm-hmm. James 2, verse 10, if you keep the whole law, you have to in one point, yep. you're guilty of all. all. Mm-hmm. And he's not talking about 9 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> he's talking if you keep 612 and fail in the 613th, yeah. you're guilty of all 613. So God doesn't want... 80% of you. Yeah. He wants all of you. Mm-hmm. And I like the line. There's an old song, and I can't remember the, the whole song, but it goes, but the, this one line in it goes, if he's not Lord of all, mm-hmm. he's not Lord at, at all. all. Yeah. And when we move so far away from that in our thinking, mm-hmm. and we just believe that. Like I was with God, I'll do anything but. Yeah. And God would, was not satisfied with that. Yeah. He wanted it all mm-hmm. or nothing. And, you know. It seems like nowadays people have this idea that, well, God's my buddy. He'll understand when I don't, you know, obey him. And what I'm, I'm a pretty good guy overall. The, these couple important decisions, that he'll he'll get yeah. over it you know and they they miss the point you they know do. and yeah. then the, and then coupled with that is with making allowance for that pet sin and we go hey that's just how i am yeah god loves me yeah so god's got to accept that mm-hmm. show me where god accepts it 
Yeah. He didn't accept it with Kane. Mm-mm. Or Nadab and Abihu. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't accept this sort of thing. No. And, and you've convinced yourself that he that he does. Mm-hmm. But if you'll get into the Bible and get out of your own head mm-hmm. and get into the Bible, then you'll find you're treading on dangerous ground. Yeah. And eventually, God's going to have to deal with you mm-hmm. if you belong to him. But if you are a believer, then what happened to old things have passed away? This is just how I am. Mm-hmm. And all things are becoming new. Mm-hmm. So where's that sanctification thing in your life? And where's the consecration in your life? Yeah, it needs to be moving forward. Yes. It, it, it's just not we get saved and we're exactly the same until we die. That's not that's never been the plan. We right. conform to his image and likeness. And that is... The, albeit sometimes slowly and pathetically. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but that's the predetermined um, plan when God God's foreknowledge is perfect. Mm-hmm. But his foreknowledge is not causative. So God knew March 9th, 1969, that I would get saved. Sure. He didn't cause it. He just couldn't help but know it. Mm-hmm. But knowing that I would finally accept, after fighting it all the time, the sacrifice that he allowed Jesus to make on the cross for me. He then predetermined what the character of the rest of my life should be, and that is to be conformed to the image of a son, or you could even say conforming, because I'm not sure we ever get to where yeah. we're fully there, <laughs> but it's a life process. Yeah, And if you're not on that journey, if you can look at yourself today Say, I got saved 20 years ago, and you look no more like Jesus today mm-hmm. than you did 20 years ago. You may have gotten saved, mm-hmm. but the last 20 years have been an ab- abject failure. You're not, you're not fulfilling the will of God. Yeah. And if you're still saying that's just how I am, something's very wrong. Yeah. Because an infant cries and demands because it can't it can't express itself any other way. Mm-hmm. But a 15-year-old ought not be doing that. <laughs> and a 30-year-old ought not be doing that. Sure. And a 60-year-old ought not be doing that. He should have grown and matured. Mm-hmm. Why don't you think as a believer you should have matured and moved past just the way I am to now I'm just the way Jesus would like me to be. Because it's a choice. The two seldom intersect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost. Yeah. It's it's a complete why. And they go in opposite directions. Yeah. Yeah. Your will versus God's after you get saved. So that's what Paul was so frustrated with the church (laughs) at Corinth. Mm -hmm. Said, when you at this point should be teachers. Yeah. 
you shouldn't be getting in trouble in this you have horrible me to being way. taught yourself and i'd long to give you the meat but your infant's still mm-hmm. feasting on the milk mm. and it frustrated paul and yet that's where we are today and you look at the vast majority that's why i don't say christian i i, I say believer you've heard me say believer constantly yeah Believer's entry level. Yep. Christian being Christ-like is what we're supposed to be getting closer to. Yeah. And the there's not enough of that. Yeah. But there's not enough teaching and preaching in mm-hmm. that, uh, along that line because too many in leadership just want to fill the seats. Mm-hmm. And they want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And if you start, if you start challenging them, and making them uncomfortable in the life they're living and provoking them to, to growth that they don't really naturally want to do, I may not have as many people in these seats. Oh, yeah. You're going to lose someone. So, therefore, we just pat them on the head and tell them they're nice yeah. folks and God loves them. Don't and, forget, Jesus loves you. And go out and cheat your brother and yeah live steal your life and do whatever follow you follow your heart yeah oh yeah. if there's ever a saying that uh, makes blood shoot out of my yeah, eyes no kidding <laughs> the heart is deceitful <laughs> above all things and desperately wicked who can know it mm-hmm. but i just have to follow my heart yeah this is oh man just <clears throat> okay i want to bring us back to what we were talking about with the jews at the time of christ yeah there is a major disruptive event in 70 AD. How, what happened to Judaism at that point when the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, they no longer had that center for, you know, their entire life. How yeah. did they reconcile being Jewish and being able to continue to be observant if, you know, we're, we're supposed to go back to this one city three times a year for right. these days. And, we're, you know, everything is centered around this one town and right. this one building. And, I mean, how did that, when, when it fell apart so massively, how did Judaism pick up the pieces and say, okay, we're still Jewish and this is how we're going to... Uh, be observant and carry yeah, on good question um well they had synagogues already mm-hmm. the synagogue was just a meeting place yeah and it really was a meeting place for even civil use mm-hmm. in the community but the synagogues now gained greater focus that's all there was can't sacrifice sure priesthood have, is you don't have the temple yeah. so there's no need for the priesthood yep because the temple is gone mm-hmm. so the rabbis then change from what i'd say biblical judaism mm-hmm. and now we have rabbinic judaism and rabbinic Judaism teaches this catastrophic event now shows us God is 
no longer pleased with sacrifice. Oh, that's what was to the obey, conclusion. To obey is better than sacrifice. Therefore, be a good Jew, keep the law, treat people well, you'll be all right with God. Mm. So they moved it from the necessity of the shedding of the innocent blood mm -hmm. to liturgy and good works. And you hear it all the time. It's a mitzvah, mm -hmm. a blessing. Yep. You know, you have to, people all the time come to me and goes, and they're just shocked to tell me, I worked for a Jewish man. Mm -hmm. Never had anybody treat me better. I said, of course he did. He believes he is fulfilling God's purpose He's in his got life. To treat people well. Mm -hmm. It moves into other areas. Years ago, John Kerry was running for president. Mm -hmm. I stop in to see my rabbi friend at the conservative synagogue there in Fort Worth. And he knows who I am. He knows what I am. Mm -hmm. And he welcomed me. With, we became great friends. He came to my Bible study, mm -hmm. brought several of his people with him. I'd go to his Torah study. Mm -hmm. It was great. Yeah. He said, I'm glad you're here. Good to see you. <laughs> He's a little bit verklempt. And he says, uh, I'm just frustrated because the election's coming. I said, I just don't understand. Why it is it my people, despite the fact that the Democrats' positions are completely antithetical to everything that we believe and hold dear, mm -hmm. along with the nation of Israel? Yeah. So <laughs> he says, yeah, today it's worse <laughs> that what the attitude toward. So he said, I just can't figure out why that being true. My people just vote Line for the Democrats. Vote for him. Mm -hmm. I, said, I, have, I think I have the answer. See if what you think about this. Mm -hmm. As a rabbi, you teach your people God is no longer pleased with sacrifice. He said, Yes. To obey is better than sacrifice. Yes. Therefore, you teach them be a good Jew, keep the law, treat people well. You'll be all right with God. Yes, this is what we teach. Who has the social programs? Mm -hmm. And who's trying to get rid of them? Yep. And cause people to stand on their own two feet. And his countenance is falling. Mm -hmm. And his eyes are getting big. And I said, I have this overwhelming need. If I'm going to be right with God, I've got to treat people well. If I vote for the Republican, I'm voting to harm people mm. who desperately need these social programs. <clears throat> if I vote for the Democrat, even though everything about him is abhorrent to what I believe, at least he's trying to help these poor people. <laughs> so I vote for the Democrat so I can treat people well. And I'll be all right with God. And he just, you're right. Yep. We've done it to our own people. Mm -hmm. I said, that's how I see it. And he confirmed it for me. And it's it's a hard thing to break. And they just, look, 
Hillary Clinton doesn't become the senator of New York State without the Jewish vote. Obviously, especially since she, surprisingly, I think she got 350% of the registered turnout. It was impressive. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the number was actually 100%. It was yeah. like, come But on. I mean, the thing is, she gets the Jewish vote mm-hmm. while during the campaign, she is physically embracing Arafat. Yeah. The, the man who, just for our listeners, swore that peace with Israel was for them not to exist, to yes. push them into Drive the ocean. Them into the sea. Yeah, that was, that was peace with Israel. She's embracing him. And Arafat, who, by the way, the United Nations gave um, awards to, and he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, I believe. Okay, same guy. We're ta- I just want to make sure I'm clear on who we're talking about. Yep. Yep. He and Yitzhak Rabin mm-hmm. over the Oslo Accords that that Arafat never kept one bit of it. But anyhow, <laughs> um, so she even ran against a guy who was born and raised in New York State mm-hmm. and convinced the people that she knew better for New York State than a native of New York State did. Yeah. But she doesn't get there without the Jewish vote because mm-hmm. of this this one plank, the social programs. Yep. And you see it over and over and over again. And it's that the rabbis inbred them into the people because they moved away from biblical Judaism. And now you have rabbinic Judaism, which doesn't match up. Mm. So this is how they they justify it and move on from but they want the temple back and that was my that's a great segue into what i wanted to ask next there is still a segment that wants the temple restored and the sacrifices to start am i wrong no there's a huge effort in place to rebuild the temple Mm -hmm. every day we get a giant step closer toward that being a reality um, since they believe they found the Ark of the Covenant after the Six-Day War, mm-hmm. two leading rabbis, Gorn and Getz, one over the Temple Mount, the other over Jerusalem. And they lead an excavation under the Temple Mount called the Rabbi's Tunnel mm-hmm. today. They did their surveying on the surface, determined where the Holy of Holies would have been, and it's not under the Dome of the Rock. Okay, that was that's another big question because in Christianity, the the curiosity is: Does the Dome of the Rock have to be moved in order for the temple and the, to be rebuilt and the sacrifices to start? Because if it does, that'll make a real interesting, you know, bit of history coming down the pike. <laughs> well, it does have to be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, it is standing in the Levitical court. Okay. And without with it there, how are you going to sacrifice? Um, with it standing there, there is enough room to build the temple. Okay. But then all you've done is build a shrine. Mm-hmm. Can't use it. Mm-hmm. Dome of the Rock's in the way. It'll go. And they know it'll go. Who knows it'll go? Uh, uh, the, the Temple Institute... The ones that are making preparations for the rebuilding for the next, 
we take our tour groups through the the Temple Institute, and they show you that the garments of the high priest, the mm-hmm. crown of gold with the name of God emblazed on it, mm-hmm. the ephod, the breastplate with the yep, twelve gemstones, stones representing the twelve tribes. Mm-hmm. They have the table of showbread, the altar of incense. They wanted a new. They wanted the original Temple Menorah. They thought the Pope was going to bring it on his trip in 2000. He Wait, didn't. The Pope has the original Temple Menorah. Well, we know that Titus took it to Rome with him. Oh, okay. So who else would have it? Well, I, I mean, I guess for me, I, I, you know, that's just my ignorance with history. I just imagined <coughs> when Titus Aspasia came in and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed everything. I just assumed. All of the implements were destroyed at that time. No, he took the spoils of war home in Rome. So this is Nebuchadnezzar all over again. He took everything with him when they took what he thought was important. Sure, which I mean, let's face it, plenty of stuff in the temple was made of gold. You know, so So all those things. There is an Ark of Titus. Uh huh. Stands between the Colosseum and the Roman Forum. Mm-hmm. Our guide, Michelle and I were in Rome, and we took this little tour of the Colosseum and all of this. And I've talked about this stone relief, and in it, it depicts him bringing the spoils of war. And it has him carrying the temple menorah. No kidding. How big was the temple menorah? Oh, Five, six feet tall? No, taller. taller than that. No kidding. So anyhow, the uh, <laughs> uh, I knew about this. I've seen pictures of it. I guess I never paid attention to where it was, but I talked about it in several sermons. We're standing there. It's like three thirty in the afternoon. It's hotter than the hot, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're worn out, right? Yeah. And I'm half listening, and all of a sudden the guide says. And of all things to have, he explained, when an emperor returned from a campaign like this, victorious, they built an ark like this to him. Okay. And of all things, there's a there's a Jewish menorah on here. And I went, oh, you're kidding. I looked in there. I got inside it and looked at And there it is, what I've seen pictures of, what I've talked about in mm-hmm. the temple menorah. It doesn't have the Ark of the Covenant. You didn't know it existed. Yeah. Didn't know where it was. Well, and that's been missing since uh, the Babylonians took the Jews away captive. Because it... Well, it was... Or I don't know if missing is the right word. In the list of the things that were taken away by Nebuchadnezzar, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat were not listed. Right. So the assumption was it was hidden so that it would not be taken away. The Talmud tells us that Solomon built a chamber... Mm -hmm. And it was 60 feet beneath the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. And this was to hide the ark in case of siege. So this is why no imposing um, uh, army coming in could get to it. They didn't know it existed. They didn't know if they knew it existed, where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't sacrifice without the Ark of the Covenant. Sure. But if the high priest sprinkled the blood on the floor mm-hmm. and 60 feet beneath him is the ark, mm-hmm. that 60 feet means nothing to God. He still sees a covering. 
Got it. And seven times the high priest sprinkled the blood on the floor of the Holy of Holies. Um, Boy, there's a way to get around everything, isn't there? So, well, <laughs> I mean, it just great. You had to do it. Yeah, I, I get it. It's in just, the entire Second Temple period, the Holy of Holies was empty. They were absolutely. under foreign occupation. Yeah, the time of Christ, he never saw the too greater the risk and the mercy too greater seat. risk of it being yeah stolen. Yep. So these leading rabbis, that's why they first plotted on the surface where the Holy of Holies would have been. Mm-hmm. Then when they went and excavated, they were targeting this chamber. Mm -hmm. They didn't stumble on it. Mm -hmm. They broke through the wall. And today it's walled back up. It's lit. It's marked very clearly. There are Hasidic women all day long praying at this spot. They're as close as they can get to the most sacred thing on earth for the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. They broke through the wall and believed they found the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they're not Levitical priests. Mm-hmm. They so they're even, not allowed to pick it up and They move wouldn't it. even peek under the cover. Yep. <clears throat> um, but it's right shape and size, so they walled sure. it back up to protect it. So no one's actually laid eyes on it that we know of. Yeah. You know, because somebody asked me, do you suppose that Ark has the same power it had in David's day? Well, what? How, what was not, there an expiration date? Yeah, they're not going to risk their life to <laughs> yeah, prove anything. Yeah, I remember what happened when uh, yeah. the cart was jostled. You yeah, know, I'm not. Yeah. I ain't not, touching it. Could you imagine there. the two rabbis right. looking at each other? Yeah, yeah go ahead and peek under there. Right. I'll stand back here. Not going to happen. <laughs> so this is what caused this huge effort to rebuild the temple. Yeah, and so um, the Temple Institute. Then we take you there. They show you all of these things, and um, again, they wanted the original temple menorah back. The Pope didn't bring it. Mm -hmm. They built a new one. They spent several million dollars in gold. It's on display. We'll show it to you. And they've uh, they're teaching the Levitical priesthood. They're raising up a generation of high priests from infancy. They're doing DNA testing to make sure they have the right lineage. Through DNA testing, they've discovered that unique to those of the tribe of Levi, mm-hmm. the priestly tribe. Sure, but then um, after that. But on the Y chromosome mm-hmm. is a distinctive marker. Mm. It appears nowhere but there. Get out of here. And so I was, it got cool. <laughs> Don't tell me God doesn't understand yeah. science. <laughs> The scientists are a little for shimmel with God, but God fully understands science. Yeah, and uh, they've they've engaged the architect mm-hmm. to draw the blueprints. They have a floor plan somewhere in the Judean wilderness to train the Levitical priests so they shouldn't look like the Keystone cops. Sure, when, you know. yeah. The first time they go in, they're going to be ready to go. Yeah, they're they don't need the a soft run. opening. They can just get right to it. So when. <laughs> 19, uh, 19, 2018 or 19, we're there in the Temple Institute, and I see something I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. I asked the young lady, you have to have their guide take you through. What is this? I've never seen this before. It's a portable altar of sacrifice. When we get the word to rebuild, mm-hmm. before we ever get the ground cleared, we can take that up there and begin to sacrifice. She told you just two quick things, if anybody was listening. Mm-hmm. Before we get the ground cleared, yeah, the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, 
will go. Yeah. We can begin to sacrifice before we even get that done. Take that. The full intent for rebuilding the temple is to reestablish the sacrificial system. Yeah. It's all about that. And they know it. And she admitted it <laughs> in that innocuous statement. Sure. But you had to be listening. Yep. And know what she was saying. So your question about how this can happen, because it would be a cataclysmic event. Obviously, geopolitically speaking, this would this would be it would make the news. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if anybody was left. It would start World War Three. They listen. They know this. Um, when remember Y two K, the rapture is supposed to be coming because mm-hmm. our computers wouldn't work. And yeah. heaven forbid. Yeah, so we're so spoiled. <laughs> but anyhow, um, there were those in Israel that were preaching Y two K, the rapture, the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dome of the Rock and the yeah. rebuilding of the temple. Israel deported these guys, got them out of country because they were afraid that they would do something to fulfill their own prophecy. Got it. They would be the zealots who were willing to <clears throat> blow get up rid the, of Ark the, of the, yep. the Dome of the Rock, mm-hmm. and that would start World War Three. Wow. So how does this happen? Without that, and I have a theory. Okay, because I have a theory too, so I want to hear yours, and let's see where we're at. Go for it. And I always say the nice thing about it is you can't prove me wrong. Sure. (laughs) We'll see. But, you know, this is why we get on here and talk, because this is interesting. So So, the uh, rapture of the church takes place. I'm with you so far. The Antichrist comes to power. You got it. He signs a seven-year peace accord with Israel. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he drops the pen, looks at Israel, and the first thing he does is tell them, tear down the Dome of the Rock, build your temple. Mm -hmm. Who can argue with him? Sure. This is the devil incarnate. And he is bringing peace to the world that has never known chaos like it does after the rapture. Yes. And... The Jewish people, what single gesture could he make? Yeah, that to would get cause them the on Jewish board people to fully support him. To bow to him as Messiah. 100%. No one else has given us this authority. No one's arguing with him. Mm-hmm. This has to be Messiah. Three and a half years later, they yep. find out how wrong they truly were. Sure. He ends up walking in. <laughs> Can you, now, add this little caveat. Say it takes them three and a half years to get it built. Sure. And they have this grand opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this huge celebration ready. Mm-hmm. Go back and read the celebration in dedicating Solomon's original temple. Oh, it was massive. Massive. You're gonna add you're gonna have something that'll top that. Yeah. They march in to the temple for the first time mm-hmm. since seventy AD. Yeah. All the expectations are just mm-hmm. only to find Antichrist has already desecrated it. Yep. What a crushing blow. Mm-hmm. And it will drive them to the mountains, knowing how wrong they were. Yeah. To accept this guy as Messiah. Yep. 
I think it could play out just like this. See, I've often said the same thing. The only event that could cause enough chaos to allow something that radical to happen would be the rapture. The bride of Christ disappears. And so many people don't understand what that means. You have you have pilots that disappear and planes are crashing to the ground. You have every pregnant woman on earth, there the baby is gone. Yeah. Okay. Every person who uh, whose sins have been blotted out, disappears. You have world leaders, you have judges, you have law enforcement. You, I mean, it would be such chaos so fast, and that is what will usher in the Antichrist. Someone that will, because when there is chaos, people look to strong leadership. Somebody has to rise up and say, follow me, I'll make I know sense the way. out of you this. You got it. How did Hitler come to power? Because of the Weimar Republic and Germany was in such chaos that he said, I will give people a job. I have the answers. I can save the country. Yeah. And everyone said, okay, we're, we'll, we're willing to give it a shot. Let's follow this guy. Yeah. And somebody asked me, or somebody came to me, it may have been last night. And they said, uh, they, they were talking about somebody that they knew was telling him he knows who the Antichrist is. Hmm. And I said, well, the thing about this is I don't even believe the person who will fill that role knows the role they're going to fill. Mm -hmm. I don't even think whoever the Antichrist is going to be, I don't believe that person knows that it's them. I agree, and I have a follow-up question for you about that, but now, please continue. Remember when... Jesus goes into the upper room. Mm -hmm. When Judas goes in the upper room that night, I don't believe for one minute he knew the events he'd be involved in that night. Sure. There's a there's a phrase in the account. I hate to say story because mm -hmm. then it sounds fictional. I get it. There's a there's a phrase in the account that says the devil entered Judas. Mm -hmm. Then he went out to prepare to betray Jesus. The devil hadn't entered this person yet. Correct. So no one knows who it is, even that person. <clears throat> and they have been writing books ever, for the 54 years I've been saved. Yeah, predicting. Declaring who it is. Yeah. You know, They've been declaring it has to be the Pope. Well, the Pope sits at the crossroads of religious and civil authority. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. I it get does. why people there's, a, there's an argument look at that. there. Sure. There are those that say it's Henry Kissinger. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Kissinger lately? If <laughs> yeah. it is, he'd better hurry. <laughs> um, he looks like death on a matzah. Um, and they say this because he was arguably the second most powerful man in the world under Richard Nixon, and he was Jewish. That has nothing to do with it. Sure. So anyway, then others say that uh, they, they, they wrote books that Bill Clinton was the Antichrist, mm -hmm. Hillary maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> one genius said, and he put it out on the Internet, Jesus inadvertently gave us the name of the Antichrist inadvertently mm. just slipped 
That means Jesus shot his mouth off and went, oops. <laughs> That's not the Jesus that I love mm-hmm. and worship and follow. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's an eternal existence he ever went, oops. Yeah. You know? So this guy says, with all such great authority, that Jesus tells us that uh, the Antichrist is loosed upon the earth with the sound of thunder and lightning. Mm-hmm. And without any credentials linguistically, the guy claims in the Hebrew, the word for lightning is Barak. Oh, okay. See where this is going? Oh, yeah, sure. And in the Hebrew, the word for thundering is Obama. <laughs> and the only thing worse than this guy putting this out there are the people that pick it up and run with it. The, you know what's a shame? It's just a testimony to how few people are reading their Bible right. and taking it seriously. Yep. And because of that, they jump on whatever comes up. A new artifact you know, shows up or an old book is found, a manuscript, whatever comes up, it's like that's the new thing. And it's like, yeah. you know, for crying out loud, yeah, calm Because down. the Bible and Jesus is not enough and, for yeah, them. Nope. They've got to get involved yeah. in this junk. <laughs> no, it's – look, if we thought we knew who the Antichrist was, mm-hmm. we would – we'd do everything we could to get rid of him. Sure. You know um, – that's our natural instinct. Mm-hmm. We don't want to let the will of God play out because yeah. we're going to get. We can't this guy. trust him. Look we, what we Peter. Fix this. We'd be like Peter. <laughs> sure. Put Lopping your sword away, Peter. Heads off. Yeah. This is the hour for which I've come. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Weren't you paying attention like just in the last week? Yeah. Forget about the last three years. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. this last week. Yeah. It was so funny. So many times Jesus would tell them, you know, I'm going to die very soon in this special time. And then when it happened, everyone's like, man, I never saw it coming. Right. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And people don't get that this was a fisherman, not a swordsman. Yeah. He went for Malchus' head. Yeah. And missed badly. And just got the ear. I've had guys say, oh, he was great with a sword. Look, he lopped off his ear. Yeah. That's not what he was going no. for. Yeah. <laughs> He's going for his head. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I got got a couple questions for you. Okay. <clears throat> we know that when Christ was here with us, uh, not with me, but when he was here on earth, he said that he did not know the day of the hour. Uh, these were things that were a mystery. Do you believe they're still a mystery? I've always had the thought that they were, and there's going to be a time when God the Father says, Go get your bride. Yeah. And that's the time for the rapture. Okay, so if that's the case, then we also obviously have to assume that the devil has no understanding of when the day of the hour is. Okay. So logically, it makes sense to me that the devil would have to almost kind of have someone on deck in every generation that he could use to fulfill the role. Right. That was always one thought that occurred to me is none of us know when the starting pistol is going to fire. So did the devil have to have someone a hundred years ago? And does he have to have someone 20 years from now? And I think so. And if you look through history, there always was somebody. There were plenty of people that could fulfill the role. Yeah. I always say 
whomever it is that's going to fill this role has to be a known figure. Yeah, obviously. Because the world's going to... Going to go to them yeah. for direction. So you're not, not going to follow a, a nobody. They're not going to be born in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, they have and to have some notoriety. He's got to be jockeying for position in the world. Sure. But you're right. I mean, it's got to be the the devil. And the devil has no new tricks. No. So there's nothing for the devil to have somebody in every generation mm -hmm. that can potentially fill this role. And we... We've seen world leaders. We've seen um, people in all um, ages. I mean, we always want to equate uh, Antiochus Epiphanes mm -hmm. as a type of Antichrist. Sure, and well, that makes sense. That? I mean, we saw what he did. You yeah. know, he fulfilled some of the s same things that are right. going to happen. I, right. I get it. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of holes in those theories, obviously, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Joseph Stalin and mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler, yeah. uh, you know, guys like this. Um, and then throughout world history, you've always had somebody that, but you're looking at a day and age now because of the technology. Yep. That. You know, back in the 70s, even even the 80s, we couldn't comprehend how it would be possible for Jesus to return in every eye behold him. Yep. There's technology statements and prophecy that we couldn't have comprehended. And then Elvis did his concert from Hawaii. Yep. And the world, mm -hmm. no matter where you were, we're able to see Elvis on your television. Yeah. That was groundbreaking in every possible way. Yeah. And now they're handing out smartphones in every third world impoverished country on earth. Yeah. So we have the technology in this day and age mm -hmm. that we didn't have even 50 years ago. So... It's moving into that where we've got the technology where the mark of the beast can make greater sense. Absolutely. Because how are you going to prevent me from buying, selling, and trading if I don't have that mark? Sure. Well, going to a cashless society. That would be step one, and then all of a sudden, bada bing, it's under their control. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. well, several years ago, I'm watching something on uh, um, some they'd some discovery channel and a guy's talking about in europe they have a cash card that's different from our debit cards okay because it's not tied to your bank account what you do is you go to your bank and you tell them i want to take a thousand dollars out of my account and put it into this card mm-hmm so they'll transfer that into that card. And there's a chip in the card. You go to a merchant, you give them the card. If it's a $175 purchase, they mm -hmm. withdraw that from the card. Got it. Until you get down to where you need to fill it back up again, you go to the bank, fill mm -hmm. it back. Now, the problem is there's no name attached. There's no code number attached. There's no ID attached. 
So anybody can use it. And if you lose it, mm-hmm. it's gone. It's like losing a wad of cash. Mm-hmm. It's just gone. Then the guy goes, but if they took that chip and put it in your watch. Sure. Now it's a lot harder to lose. Yeah. Screaming, Michelle, <laughs> yeah. come here. And she will never come when I get excited yeah. about something like that. It means nothing to her. And I'm going, how well, hard is it to move it from here? You know what's real close here? to your watch is your wrist, you know? <laughs> move it from here to the palm of your hand. Oh, yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? Or you put it into your forehead. Yeah, so you can't And then lose all it. they have to do is take that scanner. And yep. Just wave it. It's contactless nowadays. Yes. You don't even have... Yeah. And, and then you can't buy, sell, or trade. Yep. When we've gone to that. And the technology is here. Mm-hmm. In London years ago... Uh, some parents were scared to death of losing their little girl. They put a chip in her. Sure, just like your pets nowadays. And boy, did that create a fewer. Mm-hmm. The technology is here that wasn't here even when we were coming up. Oh, yeah. And we would teach and understand as much as we were able to. And by faith, we knew but the practically the speaking, all, it didn't make sense. You we couldn't wrap our minds it. around it. Now we can. Yeah. It's all here. And it just, we're just waiting, literally. For the stars to align and bing, 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 here it is. And the reason that Jesus doesn't know is because, um, and it's the Father's call. Remember, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Yep. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Mm-hmm. That place he's preparing is the wedding chamber. Absolutely. Jewish wedding feast that we... Yeah. Yep, and I I'm go through you. all of this in my Christ and the Passover. Okay. And he picked out his bride. Mm-hmm. He paid the contract price. Yep. They're already uh, betrothed. Okay, so it would be as if they're married. A divorce would need be needed to separate. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. Okay. Goes home to his father's house, builds yep. the wedding chamber. Yep. Waiting for the father to say. When everything meets with the father's approval, he mm-hmm. comes and tells his son to go get his bride. Go get your bride. It's his call. It's yes. his house. Yep. God, Jesus didn't say, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go now to prepare a mansion for you. Mm-hmm. It's not what he said. Yep. I go to prepare a place for you. Mm-hmm. And I know, look, I'm going to lose the literalist here. <laughs> but hang with me. I go to, uh, in my father's house are many mansions. The word mansion, yes, it's a legitimate translation of that word. But the better translation is dwelling place. Mm-hmm. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. Mm-hmm. That makes great. You, what bride longs for her wedding? And then on her wedding night, her bridegroom drops her off three miles away Sure. in the subdivision. Yeah. And then goes <laughs> home to his parents' house. Yeah. That's the wedding night? Yeah. <laughs> we go... To the wedding chamber together. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he didn't talk about building a mansion. 
that's our our materialism transferring yeah. to heaven which i get it's gonna be wonderful it's gonna be beautiful it's gonna have attributes yeah like a like a mansion i have no problem with that right yep but it shouldn't be our focus yeah necessarily jesus should be but anyway so he's building this in the father's house this wedding chamber so he gets to make the call mm-hmm. it's not the fun the son's decision it's the father's house mm-hmm. so that's why jesus said it's not for you to know or for me to know when the father's satisfied he tells his son to go get his bride but i think i just want to throw this out because i'm meddlesome <laughs> Maybe the reason the father hasn't told the son to go get his bride. This seems to be the only bride in all of man's history that before the wedding seems to be ashamed of her bridegroom. Mm. It doesn't seem to be a lot of desire for that bridegroom to come. And a lot of people that claim to be saved um, have mastered the art of living their life. They've compartmentalized their life. That's the word I was going to say. And I can do everything I do. And then when I go to church, I can worship, and that's where the Lord comes in. But this is my my work life, my mm-hmm. family life, and they just left God out. Yeah. And that's not, the garden in Genesis 3, the voice of God come walking in the cool of the evening. Adam, where are you? Mm-hmm. He came looking for fellowship. Mm-hmm. He lost that fellowship when Adam fell to sin. Mm-hmm. He wanted it back. But he couldn't have it back because he couldn't let sin enter his presence. So he had to do something about our sin problem. Therefore, Jesus went to the cross. We're saved. A home in heaven for all of eternity. That's a byproduct of the fact God wanted us back in his life. And he so desperately wanted us back. He's willing to pay this awful price. And I always want people to question them. Is, where your life is concerned, is God getting what he paid for? Mm. Are you all too happy to live your life in utter disregard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in utter disregard of God in your life daily? The verse says, Know ye not you are bought with a price. Mm -hmm. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. It's not my life. I belong to him. Why don't I spend any time with him? And God is just, he paid that awful price. Mm -hmm. And we won't let him have it. Yeah. And... I, I get afraid. I think people spend so little time with God in this life 
I wonder if they'll recognize them when they get to heaven. You know, one of my favorite Bible teachers who has, who has passed on, he always used to say, um, if you were living in a country where Christianity was illegal and the state arrested you and accused you of that, yeah. would they be able to gather enough evidence to convict you? Of being a Christian. You got it. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, modern day American Christianity, it doesn't seem like that, you know, for a lot of people. We're too busy trying to be hip and cool. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we don't identify with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm 200 nights a year on the road. <sighs> I eat in a lot of restaurants. Sure. We ate in a restaurant last night. Did you see anybody else stop and pray when their food came? No. Tomorrow afternoon, Sunday afternoon, mm -hmm. people will have will fill those restaurants having just come from church. Oh, yeah. And everybody that works in that restaurant knows it. Mm -hmm. And they know they're the, that's the worst crowd they deal with all week. Yeah. They're the most demanding and the most hateful about it. Mm-hmm. If that's you, don't leave a track. Sure. <laughs> Especially not one with your church's name and your pastor's picture on it. Mm -hmm. Please don't do that to them. Uh, and if you leave a track, put some money in it. Yeah. Don't be yeah. cheap with the tip. Yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm sitting there in these restaurants, and I've been doing this 27 years. Yeah. I hardly ever see people stop and pray when the food comes, even mm -hmm. on a Sunday right after church. Yeah. It it's so seldom that when I see it, it changes my whole day. Yeah. It just gets all over me. I mean, I'm in a restaurant on a Tuesday night somewhere and literally this booth over here, there's a dad and his little six year old boy. And it's dad's night out with his boy. And the food came, and dad reached across the table, took his little boy's hand, and led him in prayer. Mm -hmm. That just thrilled me so much, I almost got up and picked up his check. <laughs> then I came to my senses. But, uh, and then another time, there's a mom and dad in a booth, and three teenage pre uh, probably junior high and high school daughters. Mm -hmm. And they're just enjoying the, themselves like teenage girls usually don't with mom and dad. It was yeah. a great thing to watch. The food came. Dad reached out and took hands, and they all held hands, and dad led his family in prayer. Mm -hmm. That spoke to my heart. Mm hmm you don't think that spoke to anybody else in that restaurant that was watching it. And what a testimony. Yeah. But people don't want to do it because they're afraid they're going to get laughed at. Yeah. And they won't take the ridicule, but bless God, I'll take a bullet for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, brother. Well, <clears throat> we've been going for an hour and a half, and I don't want to keep you all day because you have to teach two more hours tomorrow. Um, I greatly appreciate having you here. Um, I hope this wasn't a terrible experience for you. Oh, it's always good being had. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for all of you that are listening at home, uh, I would encourage you to uh, look up 
Ahavat Messiah Ministries down in Fort Worth, uh, Texas. And you can look for Dr. Al Reichman. Uh, you can get on board and support his ministry. You can contact them. You can pray for them. Uh, they certainly uh, need your help. Our uh, website is ahavatmessiah.com. And that's A-V-A-T-A-T-H, Messiah, M-E-S-S-I-A-H, ministry. Well, not ministry. God. Just ahavatmessiah.com. Okay, so you folks can go there and you can get some more uh, information. So we appreciate you having you. And if you're ever back, you know, through Western Colorado, you certainly are welcome to come visit our church. I also do tours to Israel. Let me just throw that out there. Get it, get it in there. Now's uh, the time. We're looking. This year's tour is full, which I'm thrilled about. <laughs> but next year's tour, the dates we're working with right now are May 20th to May 30th. 2024 you can go to our website and get the info and uh, it's going to say 2023 we haven't updated the website yet but you can make your deposit through our website using paypal and any deposit i get at this point i know is for 2024 because it all comes directly to me mm-hmm. and then uh i'll send you an email and welcome you to the tour with some more info, that kind of thing. So I'd love to take you with me. I promise it's a life-changing event. Yeah, and that's how uh, we ran into you was my friend, Pastor Darren Crow. Uh, his wife was on one of those tours, got yep. to meet you, came home, chewed her husband's ear about how great it was, and here you are visiting us in Western Colorado. Right. And she, her friend, Rachel, mm-hmm. I think they have a bike shop downtown. Yeah. Yep, Brown Cycles. Yep, and uh, she was first one uh, to sign up, and then she asked, and she's got a really good friend. Her pastor's wife would like to come, and I said, "Sure, we've got room for." Her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they came, and they were they were a really great blessing on the tour, and uh, and yeah, that's how it came about me being able to come here. Because uh, I've never been on this side of these mountains. Mm-hmm. Only Denver sure. and Colorado Springs. Oh, I'm sorry to hear Pueblo. that. Yeah. But, uh, and Greeley and going up and down the Front Range, but never been o- back over here. Those mm-hmm. we talked last night, I keep close. Yeah. <laughs> Dangerously close. Yeah. But that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate your time. This was wonderful. And, uh, yeah, if I'm ever down uh, near Texas, of course, it's going to be tough timing because you're all constantly on the road. Um, but I'd definitely love to visit and, you know, have this chat again. So yeah. this was great. Okay, everybody, you can usually find us live every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central. Uh, all you got to do is Google the Bible Thumper podcast, and you'll find us, uh, our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and then you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, wherever you download and listen to your podcast. So we appreciate having you. And uh, check in with us this Sunday night as Zach and I are going to get together and we're going to talk about everything uh, we learned from you, Dr. Reichman, over the last (laughs) last three days. Yeah. Well, it's just easy material, you know, so it's going to be fun because Zach and I were having a good time last night chatting about what we learned. So tomorrow morning, I'm doing my testimony message Mm -hmm. in their morning service. Yep. Yeah. I'll be there with my kids. Good. Yep. So we'll see you again. Okay. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for listening.